0: If you take Jesus out of the picture, if you take Jesus out of your life, if you don't have Jesus, it's vanity of vanities. All is, is worthless. A fortune that you amassed you amass to give to someone else when you die. And what are you left with? Nothing. As, as we're going to read later, you come into the world naked and you leave naked and there's, that's it. You can't take your goal with you. You can't take your career with you. You can't take anything that you amass on this planet with you. When you're dying, I tell you what, that you won't be thinking of anyone else's name except who. Jesus Christ will be the only thing that will mean anything to you when you're facing an eternal reality. 1 verse 2 and it says this it says in the amplified vapors of vapors vapors of vapors and futility of futilities vapors of vapors and futilities of futilities says the preacher vapor of vapors and futilities of futilities all is vanity emptiness falsity and vain glory what profit does man have left from all his toil at which he toils under the sun and then it says in brackets is life worth living that's some pretty powerful stuff to come in the bible people say gee that's pretty negative but do you know what if you take jesus out of the picture if you take jesus out of your life if you don't have jesus it's vanity of vanities all is, is worthless. It doesn't amount to anything. You do it, and, and everything you, uh, um, a fortune that you amass, you amass to give to someone else when you die. And what are you left with? Nothing. As, as we're going to read later, you come into the world naked and you leave naked, and there's, that's it. You can't take your gold with you. You can't take your career with you. You can't take anything that you amass on this planet with you. Moths and rust destroy it as well. Everything that we work so hard for, moths and rust destroy. There is only, when you're dying, I tell you what, you won't be thinking of anyone else's name except who? Jesus Christ will be the only thing that will mean anything to you when you're facing an eternal reality. Jesus Christ is all that matters. And you know what? It's not for us to understand that and get that revelation just as we die. It's not for us to, as we're about to enter into death, into the death realm, which, by the way, a close friend of ours entered into this morning. He's entered into the a, a, a realm of the unknown for many Tim Carapetus's. Tim Karapetis's dad died this morning I haven't told our children I don't know where he stood with Jesus I knew he was Greek orthodox but I don't know where he stood with Jesus you know what you can be religious you can belong to denominations. You can even come to Blessed Hope Chapel. And you know what? Only Jesus knows where you stand with him. I don't. You know, many people can put on appearances in front of me and I just think these guys are like full on for Jesus. And, and they could be. But then a year down the track, two years down the track, ten years down the track, something happens and their flame goes out. Do you know what? Inside us is a pilot light. Inside us is a pilot light. And what do pilot lights do in a gas system? Yes. And they sit there waiting for gas to be turned on, don't they? Right? What happens if a strong wind gets around it sometimes? Who's ever had this happen in the middle of winter? It's freezing cold. You get in the shower and you get the shock of your life. It's freezing cold. You have to run out into the into the cold with your towel wrapped around you and try to start the stupid thing. <laughs> Who's had that experience? No? You haven't? you got good pilot lights. <laughs> I've had that experience. It's terrible. But when the pilot light goes out and you turn on the gas, what happens? Nothing. You fill the system up with gas. No good for anything. Make sure that you're, as a Christian, not filled up with gas but no heat because the flame isn't there, you know. The pilot light's got to be on. You know when we worship? Do you know when, when I worship, I don't care how I feel. When I worship, the moment the worship starts, I just put myself on. I say, turn on the gas, Lord. I turn it on. I lift my arms in the air and straight away everything changes for me. But if you come in there and you hold your hands down here like everyone this morning, you know what happens? The pile of light doesn't get ignited. God wants to see passion. He wants to see us turn it on for him. Even when you don't feel like it. You know, I, I teach, teach piano. And in my perspective, as a piano teacher, I'm paid to be positive. Positive. You know what I mean? I'm paid to be in positive. I'm paid to be encouraging. I'm paid to go out there and give it my all. And so when I walk out into those rooms and I start teaching and a student says, how are you? It doesn't matter how I feel. Guess what my answer is? Fantastic. I feel great. Got a bit of a headache. Feel really nauseous. Could blow my nose all, all day. You know, all I want to do is sleep. I'm exhausted. But I'm fantastic. Thank you for asking you know what I mean? And you turn it on. The moment I say that, everything changes and I start to feel better, you know? Who knows you can carry around with you a depression because you choose to carry it around with you because you don't choose to take on the opposite. You get up in the morning, you pick up what you choose to want to pick up. If you want to pick up being down in the dumps and letting everyone know you're down in the dumps, pick that up and go, go your way because that's what you're going to carry with you that day. But if you get up in the morning and you pick up encouragement, positivity, and you say, this is what I'm going to be today. This is what I'm going to carry around. Do you know it's a decision we have because we have a pilot light in us and that pilot light is the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit can come and ignite you and if you choose to let it turn you on and ignite you and you will become hot for God. But if it goes out, what happens? You become cold. Or if it just stays on, it's, and nothing happens, if we don't let the, the gas charge through it, you know, we got we 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 remain the same, or we get or we fall into depressions. Do you know? And this is the problem today. Is there more depression today than ever in history? Every second person suffers from it. Everyone's suffering from it. To me, like, there's lots of reasons for it. A lot of it can be chemical reasons. You know, They say when the sun comes out, depression rates you know, drop in- uh, incredibly. So we've got to get healthy, haven't we? We can't ignore those areas. We're physical creatures. We're made from the soil. So we've got to eat the right things from the soil. You know? So I, d- I don't discount any of that stuff. But we've got to choose. We've got to make a concerted decision every day to choose to be in the right state of mind. Or else... When people say, how are you? Oh, you know, not too good. Could be better. Had a, didn't, didn't have a great day. You know, just let's get above it, hey? Because aren't we supposed to be lights on a hill? Aren't we supposed to bring joy, happiness, and encouragement to everyone we come in contact with? You know, that's what we're meant to be. We're meant to just come into people's lives and lift them up spiritually. They're meant to be, you know, put on a new... Plain because they come into contact with us. So I'm getting a long way into this sermon, aren't I? So I'm going to try to try to move a little bit into it. So one verse two to three, and it might sound a bit negative compared to what I've just was trying to say, but he, what he's wrestling with here is life without Christ, or life in his at his time when Solomon wrote this. Solomon didn't know about Jesus. This was. I don't know, 800,000 years before Christ, probably longer, could be, 1,500. I'm not sure. John, do you know? Around 1,500, something like that. Quite, Quite a while before. So when he spoke of God, he spoke of a God, a personal God that he had actually come into contact with, who gave him wisdom and wealth and honor, and he was bestowed with all that upon his life. And then he had all these, uh, with with riches comes lots of temptation, doesn't it? But it also comes the ability to try and do whatever you like. You know, I think the hardest challenge in this world would be to be mega rich. Would be to be that wealthy that there's nothing stopping you from doing anything your heart desires. Man, you could get up to mischief. Couldn't you? You think about it, what if you weren't Christian and you had no limit to how much money you could have and you could go and do and be whatever you chose to be, you could get into some strife in the eyes of God. The world will esteem you and admire you and think you're just amazing, and they'll follow you around with cameras and make a reality TV show about you. But who knows, that's fleeting. And who knows that every careless word, we're going to be judged by God. And these men, we're going to find out that they're going to appear before God. And they're going to have to give an account of a life. So just be thankful that God doesn't answer all your prayers. Especially when you were younger and you prayed for massive amounts of money. Just be thankful that he didn't give it to you. Because there's responsibility that comes with that. Huge responsibility. But let's let's keep going. We got um, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Ecclesiastes one thirteen to fourteen, and it said, "And I applied myself by heart and mind." I like that. I applied myself by heart and by mind. So his heart desired it all, and his mind desired it, and searched out by human wisdom all human activity under heaven. It is a miserable business which God has given to the sons of man with which to busy themselves. I have seen all the works that are done under the under heaven, or under the sun, and behold all is vanity, a striving after the wind and a feeding on wind. All is vanity. And let's go and have a look at what he said in relation to the things he went and did, chapter 2. Oh no, 118 first. 118 says, For in, in much human wisdom is much vexation. Vexation is trouble. So the more wise you get, the more trouble you have. And sorry, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. The more you increase in knowledge. You know, when you're a child and you don't know much? Life is bliss. As you get older and you start to realize what's really going on out there, life becomes a miserable business, doesn't it? The older we get, the the more we research things, the more we look into things, the more troubling everything becomes, and the more we don't like this world, don't like this life. And the older we get, the more wise we should get, and therefore the more we should fall into the hands of Jesus. Amen? Because there's no other name under heaven given unto men by which we must be saved. We need salvation from this world. No one's going to get out alive. No one's going to get out alive. We need salvation. And there's no other name under heaven which has been given to men by which we would be saved by. If we turn to Jesus, he promised us he will save us. But he asked for one thing. He asked for us. He asked for us. He bought us with a price. Therefore, he wants our complete Devotion, total devotion. He wants all of us. You know what I'm saying? Or what the scriptures are saying? And he even said things like, unless you take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy. So he's asking us to take up a cross and be prepared to lay our life down for him. To be be prepared to go as far as he will take us and live for him despite all circumstances. Let's go to one, uh, sorry, two, verse one to eleven. And Solomon said this I said in my mind, Come now, I will, I will prove you with mirth. In, and that's the word in, they're using in, in um, the Amplified. And that just means merriment, you know, being merry, being happy. I will prove you with mirth and test you with pleasure. So have a good time. Enjoy pleasure. Is that what the world does? Is that what the world tells us to do? You only live once. You know, go for it. Party. (laughs) Party as hard as you can. Because you could be dead tomorrow. Eat, drink, be merry. Because tomorrow you die, as the scriptures say. Wow, what a philosophy. Solomon already tested that philosophy out here. He already already worked it out. He says... Vapour of vapours, futility of futilities. But this also was vanity, emptiness, falsity, futility. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What does it accomplish? I searched in my mind how to cheer my body with wine, yet at the same time having my mind hold its course and guide me with human wisdom. He was lucky that that happened. Like he had wisdom enough to be able to drink and still be guided by wisdom. Because how many people today drink and are not guided by wisdom? And they drink and they drink and they drink and they drink themselves to death. And their life gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Because people that live with them find them unbearable. And they find themselves unbearable. Wisdom. So, yet at the same time, having my mind hold its course and guide me with human wisdom and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their life. And listen to what he did I made great works. I built myself houses. I planted vineyards. I made for myself gardens and orchards. And I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made for myself pools of water from which to water the forests and make the trees bud. I bought men's servants and maid servants, and I had servants born in my house. Also, I had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and the provinces, I got for myself men singers and women singers singers and delights of the sons of men, concubines very many. 700 wives, 300 concubines. So I became great and increased more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me and stood by me. Isn't he glad about that at that time? Because most people who did all that wisdom would just depart And whatever my eyes desired, I I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any pleasure. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion and reward for all my toil. So his heart was rejoicing. Who rejoices when you buy properties and when you get a house? You rejoice in all these things. But in the end, they're fleeting. They don't go with you into the grave. That's why Jesus says, build for yourself treasure in heaven, where moth and rust can't destroy we build up these massive fortunes here on earth some people some people are so wealthy you just can't imagine how wealthy they are you know shopping centers and you know houses be you know just incredible amounts of wealth but they're not taking it with them and whatever my eyes desired i kept not from them this is verse 10 i withheld not my heart from any pleasure from my heart rejoiced in all my labor And this was my portion and reward for all my toil. Then I looked on all my hands had done and the labor I had spent in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind and a feeding on it. And there was no profit under the sun. And then verse 17, he says, so I hated life. After all that, you would think he's... He's exactly where the world would tell you you want to be. If you want to experience the most out of life, if you've got everything your heart desires, all the property, all the money, all the women for men and men for women, or whatever in these days, women for women and men for men, and all of that, you've got everything your heart desires, you would think you'd be happy. But you know what? How many of these celebrities, these high-profile celebrities, Will confess that they're that depressed they feel like committing suicide. Look at Robin Williams. You know, the funniest man on earth. You would, well, one off. You would think that a funny guy would have a really positive outlook on life, wouldn't you? Because he laughs all the time or makes people laugh. But he was depressed beyond belief. All because they didn't know Jesus Christ and they refused to turn to him. They refused to turn to him. because, and, and the main reason people don't turn to Jesus Christ is they don't want to give up all this. They don't want to give up sin. They don't want to deal with the stuff that's going on in them that they, it makes them depressed, but they, they don't know how to deal with it. But who knows, as a Christian, is repenting one of the most edifying things you can do? You know, think of it, repenting's like this. You're a child, you've just been naughty to your dad and mum. And who knows, when you're a child, the last thing you want to do is go in and say sorry to your dad and mum. Who knows, kids just don't like to say sorry, you know. (laughs) Not looking at you. Um, But kids don't. I remember I used to hate having to humble myself. But who knows when you do it and if your parents are gracious parents and they give you a big hug and that, it's the best thing in the world. Like you just think, wow, I'm so glad I did that. All that weight's gone. I feel so much better. You know? Now times that by a million, when you go to God and you pour out to God all the things that you wished you never did and the things that you've, um, you, you feel so um, ashamed of, and then God gives you pardon. He pardons you. He says, yes, I forgive you. Come into my, come close to me now. I can hug you again. When you're a parent and your kids are naughty, you can't hug them, can you? You find it hard to hug them. Actually, some parents do. We know parents that their kids are hitting them in the face. <laughs> Seriously, one day this, this kid is hitting this woman in the face and she's hugging him at the same time, saying, isn't he such a beautiful child? He's saying to us as we're watching that. And we're like... Does she recognise what's going on? He's looking at her like, with hatred in his eyes, punching her in the face. Because <laughs> he's only little, so it wasn't hurting her. And she's hugging him, saying, isn't he the most beautiful child in the world? And we're going, no, I'd like to put him on my knee right now. <laughs> so that's how you know, the world system has just messed everything up. <laughs> People don't even recognise when kids are naughty anymore. <laughs> the parents... Not like the old school parents. Um, who, who's glad that they grew up with old school parents? Yeah, yeah. And who wasn't glad at certain times when you grew up with old school parents? You know, when you were naughty, you know, it's like you. <laughs> but did 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 it make us turn out better? Yeah. There's nothing wrong with a bit of discipline. Like the Bible says, "He who withholds the rod hates his child." Now, my dad never hit me with a rod. Thank God but he, he did give me a smack every now and then on the patty part of my bottom. That was designed just for that. That's why God gives us fleshy bottoms. <laughs> Some more. Let's Stop it. Let's stop it. <laughs> get me into trouble if I comment on that one. So let's go to verse, have I read that 17 to 18? No. So I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and a striving after the wind and a feeding on it. And I hated all my labor in which I had toiled under the sun. I hated all my labor in which I had toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will succeed me. Seeing that he's got to leave it all. You imagine if you've... Worked your whole life. You've worked 80, 90 hour weeks for for years and years and years. You gave yourself no rest. You just worked and worked and amassed fortunes beyond compare and millions and millions and even up to billions of dollars, like some of these guys today. Billions of dollars worth of fortune. And at the end of your life, you just have to let it all go. Say goodbye. It's all gone slipping into the death realm goodbye fortune everything i work so hard i can't take you with me you imagine the torment please somehow let me take it <laughs> they will be trying to take it they can't take it and their son and daughter and whatever are looking yeah you know, see you dad <laughs> rubbing their hands together i'm gonna have a bit of fun now for the next 20 30 years until i pass on and have to leave it to my kids You know, we may not be that rich, right? But do we strive too much for the things of the world? Are we striving too much for the wrong thing? Like, sure, do we have to work to pay the bills? Yeah? There's got to be mediums. There's got to be, you know, uh, levels that we say, okay, this is time that I have to work, but this is time I've got to give to God. And I've got to have that, like, designed into my life. I've got to fit those things into my life, and design it in, so that I give God adequate time in prayer, devotion, you know, getting together with the saints, etc. We've got to get it in perspective because too much, many of us we, we we devote so much to, you know, not just work and all that, but work and play. We devote a lot of time to play as well. And very little to God. And God takes, not. we all know, I don't think there'll be one person here that wouldn't put up their hand and say God should be first. Yeah, am I right? Does, is God going to be first? We know that. But who knows, you can know something, but yet not apply it. It's very easy to know it, but not apply it. That's why you can come to church every Sunday and hear me preach very similar themes. And, and, and walk away and go, uh, yeah, you know, if, if you're that way inclined, you'll go, yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah, but have you applied it yet? Have you applied it yet? I remember reading this illustration. I can't remember the exact wording of it, but this man saw his wife repeat the same thing to, his, to a son. And I, I think he said, I've counted you have done that now 20 times you've said that same thing to him. And she said, well, if he takes the advice on the 20th time, all those other 19 times were worth it. All the other 19 times. So sometimes I, I, I'm up here preaching and I'm like thinking, I have to go over the same ground all the time, Lord. Yes, until they get it. Until they get it. Until they start applying it. Until this church shines. Until this church shines. And if it's the thousandth sermon that I do and this church shines, I'll be so glad I did those 999 other times. And now we have a shining church. And when Jesus returns, we can all rejoice together at his coming. We won't have to feel ashamed at his coming. You know, Jesus is returning, isn't he? That's the hope. That's the blessed hope. That's the the hope of the Christian church. And you know what? A lot of churches don't even mention that he's coming anymore. They've stopped saying it. You know, we can't go crying woof now. Keep saying he's coming and he doesn't show. No. If Paul was saying he's coming soon, we better say he's coming soon. <laughs> that was 2,000 years ago. We better remind ourselves he's coming. And as I've said how many times in this church, he could come for us tomorrow. Meaning we don't know when we're passing on from this life. Did, you know, our friend whose father just passed away, most beautiful man, he, did, he didn't expect to go this morning. You know, it can happen at any moment. It can happen at any moment. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. And it says this, He who loves silver... Will not be satisfied with silver. He who loves silver, he who loves money, will not be satisfied with money. Nor will nor he who loves abundance with gain. So profiting, making profits, no matter how much profit he makes, he's never satisfied. He wants more profits, more profits, more profits. This also is vanity, emptiness, falsity, and futility. Verse eleven: When goods increase, they who eat them will increase also. And what gain is there to their owner except to see them with his eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the fullness of the rich will not let him sleep. So when you're striving for richness, just remember that. You might be losing your sleep as a result. Verse 15, just go a little bit down, and it says, As the man came forth from his mother's womb, So he will go again naked as he came and he will take away nothing for all his labor which he can carry in his hand. See, he can't take it with him. And this also is a serious and severe evil that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is he who labors for the wind? But I want to read you verse 16 of chapter 3. Let's go to verse 16 and this is an important scripture it says moreover I saw under the sun that in the place of justice there was wickedness and that in the place of righteousness wicked was there also what that means is that doesn't matter how wicked a man is God's seen it all and they're going to have to appear before the righteousness of God and the justice of God I said in my heart, verse 17, God will judge the righteous and the wicked for there is a time appointed for every matter and purpose and for every work. Do you know every single thing that you've ever done, there's a time where it's going to be covered in the judgment. Your whole life will be covered in the judgment. Every single thing. Nothing left out. No secret thing left out. Is that, that that shakes me? That, that impacts me, and I want it to impact us. And, and why is it in Scripture? There's a reason it's in Scripture not to scare us, it's not to depress us, it's not to do anything except one thing help us to strive for righteousness, help us to strive to live a holy life, to cause us to change and become the men and women of God God created us to be in the beginning. He created us in the beginning, according to Scripture, to be holy and blameless in his sight. That's in Ephesians chapter 1. We were created to be holy and blameless in his sight. Don't don't you want to thank God for the gift of repentance? Yeah? Because you repent, God cleans you, and then it's very easy to get filthy again, and then you come back to God and repent again. And some people think, oh, that's a terrible curse. Well, you could think of it that way. or you could That's the equivalent of saying, you know, having a shower every day is a terrible curse. Some kids think that. Yeah. But ma- the mature usually don't. <laughs> so as you mature as a Christian, you realize that repentance is a beautiful thing. You know, you don't have to carry guilt with you. You don't have to carry condemnation around with you. You can get it off your back. You can go and dump it at the foot of the cross. And say, Lord, I don't want to take that up again. Because when you, when you put your sins down at the cross and say, forgive me, Lord, the Lord says, absolutely. But you don't then pick them up and walk off and go and do the same things again, do you? But in a way, we sort of do that until we get mature in Christ. Until we get to a point where we're walking in righteousness by the Spirit. Until we can walk by the spirit that's when we stop picking those things up amen so let's read a little bit further verse 17 and it says I said in my heart God will judge the righteous and the wicked for there is a time appointed for every matter and purpose and for every work verse 18 I said in my heart regarding the subject of the sons of men God is trying separating and sifting them that they may see that by themselves under the sun without God, they are but like beasts. God is, what is he doing? He's trying, trying us, separating us and sifting us. Think of it like this. You, you were created into an imperfect world, as an imperfect human. Is that right? We weren't perfect when we were born. Even though we were blameless when we were born, we weren't perfect. Because Adam and Eve lost that in the garden. Sin entered in and that's it. Mankind, have, we're not living in immortal bodies anymore, are we? Adam and Eve were never going to die. They were, they were in their imperishable bodies. But that got stripped from them. And so, in the same sense, we don't live in our imperishable bodies. And the reason is, is God is perfecting his creation. He's perfecting us. So, there was the seven days of creation, and then there was the fall, and then ever since then, and especially after Jesus Christ, God now is perfecting us so that we can be fit for the kingdom of heaven. So, in a sense, he's refining his people so that they're fit for the kingdom. So everything we have to go through, all these trials, it's all part of the creation process that is getting completed in us. There's a six-day creation and then on the seventh day he rested and we're still in, I suppose, that seventh day. Now we're in the rest of Jesus Christ, the Sabbath rest of Jesus Christ, and we are now being perfected as his people. And so see that every trial, every hardship, every little thing you're going through, that's what God is working, allowing to work through you so that you can become stronger and more acceptable to him on that day. Does that make sense? Yeah. I know I'm speaking according to scripture when I'm saying this. For that which befalls, this is verse 19, for that which befalls the sons of men befalls beasts, even in the end one thing befalls them both. As the one dies, so dies the other. Yes, they all have one breath and spirit so that the man has no preeminence over a beast. For all is vanity, emptiness, falsity and futility. All go to the one place, all are of the dust and all turn to the dust again. Now he is speaking the equivalent of an atheist there or an existentialist. He's speaking from the perspective of someone who, if this is all there is, that is so. If this is all there is, that is so. In a sense, Solomon by this stage had just about lost his faith. You know, who who knows that uh, Solomon fell from grace. I believe, according to the end of Ecclesiastes, that he came back to faith. But... All of the great wisdom, even great wisdom will not get you into heaven. Even great wisdom, all is futility in the end. All our thoughts. It's only by the Spirit of God will we, will we be saved. It's only by Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross will we um, move from this life to the next one safely. Amen? He's the bridge. Jesus Christ is the bridge. So I'm going to read the last thing, last part of Ecclesiastes. Just go to the very end of Ecclesiastes, verse 12, and it says, Now that all has been heard, the end of the matter is, fear God, revere and worship Him, knowing that He is, knowing that He is. Did you get that? Fear God, revere and worship Him, knowing that he is. He is. How many times a day do you think you need to have a reminder that Jesus is, that God is, that he exists? He's watching us. He's watching over us. He's so concerned with every element of our day and every element of our life. He wants us to be aware that he's with us and he's upon us continuously, guiding us. And he wants us to stay the course, stay the course, despite all the voices in our heads that can say the contrary. He wants us to stay the course and live for him and put him first. And I think he deserves to be first. Amen? Do you know anyone else who's died for you? You know? If someone did die for you to keep you alive, how, how grateful would you be? Yeah? We would be grateful, wouldn't we? If, you know a father protecting their child and a, a, a train's coming and the kid's on the train track and the father sees it races over and pushes that child to safety and then gets hit by the train. Would that child be indebted to his father for life? He'll never forget his father, will he? And every time he thinks of his father, the most adoration will come up. When it, like, just love for him. And he doesn't even see him anymore. He's dead. But he loves him. like You can't imagine... The love of a child for a father who did that for him. And I'm sure most of us fathers here would have easily done that for our children. Amen? Who knows? Hey, Steve? Yeah. You wouldn't even think twice, would you? No. And the mothers mothers would do exactly the same thing for their children. Wouldn't think twice. Now, we have a God who's done that for us. Is it possible to yawn through a communion service? Is it possible to get bored in a communion service? Should it be? Absolutely not. What Jesus has done for us is beyond words. We should be forever grateful, forever thankful. It should bring a tear to our eye as we consider that every single day, as we consider Jesus Christ and what he did to keep us out of hell. It will keep us free of, of losing passion for the faith. Yeah? We don't, want to, we don't want to lose passion for the faith. So Ecclesiastes 12, 13 to 14, and it says, All has been heard, the end of the matter is fear God, revere him, worship him, knowing that he is, and keep his commandments. Hear that? Keep his commandments. For this is the whole of man, this is the as another scriptures say, a whole duty of man. The whole duty of us is to keep holy before him by the power of the Spirit. That's our duty. So what he's summarizing here is how to live. When all the vanity, all the vain things are taken out of the picture, this is how you live. Fear him, give him glory. Keep his commandments. For this is the whole of man, the full original purpose of his creation. The full and original purpose. The original purpose when creation was first created, when, when man first came into being, this is the purpose right here. The object of God's providence. The root of character. It's the root of our character. It's how we are to be as, as Christians. The foundation of all happiness Happiness is found in this true happiness, true joy is found in serving the Lord completely. If you're not finding happiness, then you have to ask God, what am I not giving you? What am I holding back from you? What's getting in the way? And so, the foundation of all happiness, the adjustment to all inharmonious circumstances and conditions under the sun and the whole duty for every man. The adjustment to all inharmonious, inharmonious circumstances. So If you walk in this, when you're walking into situations that aren't to your liking, God can keep you from taking on the wrong perspective of that situation. And have you keep a godly perspective. Have you stay holy even though you're in a situation that could easily turn you the opposite direction. Amen? Like when we get in a car, as I said last week. And our characters change the moment we get behind a wheel. It can easily happen, can't it? When someone cuts you off, suddenly we're not gracious. You know, it's easy. And everyone knows what I'm saying. That's why everyone's laughing. Because as soon as you get in that car, it's like, what spirit's just taken over me? We've got we to allow God to drive the car through us. Amen. So f- verse 14, for God shall bring every work into judgment. With every secret thing, whether it is good or evil. God will bring every work into judgment. Everything. Every secret thing, whether it is good or evil. So I didn't say that, did I? The scriptures say it. We're going we're to face God. And so keep that in mind. And I'm going to keep reminding of you every week, m- reminding you that reality of every single week in different ways, from different perspectives. Because... To me, the most important job that I have is to ensure that when you guys face God, that you get into the kingdom of heaven. Because wouldn't it be futile if I preached for 20 years and every single person I preached to went to hell? What sort of a miserable life would I have led? You know I'd, I'd look back on my life and go, "Man, what have I done wrong?" You know, Paul had that concern. The Apostle Paul had that very concern. He said, I beat my body and I make it a slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So he beat his body and made it a slave. It doesn't mean he whipped himself, as some Christians will go and start doing that, you know, whip myself, you know, submit, submit. No, it's not what it's all about. He says, I beat my body, as in he beat it in the holiness. He lived righteously. He resisted the sin nature. He sought God even when he had pressing engagements. He would say, hold on, I'm going to finish my prayers. I've got praying to do. And when distracting thoughts came in, he said, get out. I've got praying to do. And when the telephone rang, he would turn it off and shut the door. Not that there was telephones back then. You know what I mean? We've, we've got to beat our bodies and make them slaves so that we will be saved on that day. Because Jesus says it, Matthew 7.21. Not everyone who says to me, well, that's 7.22 actually. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's 7.21. Only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Only he who does the will. Not everyone who says Lord, Lord. Not everyone who professes a faith in Christ will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will. Only he who does the will. Now you can take that or leave that. We can accept the scriptures. We can accept that it's true. That we can depend on. We can put our life and rest our life on that. Or we can ignore the scriptures and say there's plenty of other books that I'm going to get my life philosophies from. Who does that? Some people get their life philosophies from Instagram. You know, check out all the positive statements. You know, I used to be part of that, you know, checking all that. But people do. I like those, there's some statements. Don't get me wrong, there's some really good statements that can sort of help you in your day and help you in your workplace and help you in, in attitude and all this sort of stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that. God blesses us in an abundance of ways. But when it comes to salvation, this. When it comes to life after death, this is the only place to look. Only place. Sure, it's got an abundance of wealth in there hasn't it? it's it got some beautiful things that can help us in so many areas of our life but you know what the key here is is salvation the key to a church is getting people saved that's what the church is for we and not just that it's not just getting people saved it's keeping people saved for the long term because who knows when you're living this life it seems like a long time you know and you've got to stay the course you've got to run the race the prize doesn't get to those get given to those that pull out of the race. If you pull out of the race, don't finish the race, you get nothing. This is the beautiful thing about the Christian race. Everyone who completes it gets a prize, not just the one who goes first. But second place gets a prize, third place gets a prize, fourth place, fifth place, all the way down the line to the millionth place, etc. And in that sense, there'll be some will have higher honour in the kingdom and some will have a lesser honour in the kingdom. But my word to you is go for the first place if you can. And why not? There's not that many people going for the first place at the moment so because they all don't think they can make it. So go for it. You'll probably jog along with the pack and no one's leading out yet. So just lead out. Give it a go. But the key here is is make it. Don't give up. Don't stop. Stop living for Christ. Don't stop running that course. If you don't make the finish line, because you, you know, some things went bad in your life, and you go, How could God be real? How could God have allowed this in my life? I'm not going to have any part of a God who allows this in my life. And you know why people think that way? It's because they're hung up on this life. They're like Solomon. It's all about this life. And that person in the next breath will say, well, I've just made an investment and I'm going to be doing this, so I'm going to be doing that, and I want to make all this money. And Really? We've got to be wise in, in, in the knowledge of God and understand that it's about running the race for Christ. Amen? Christ must be first. He must be first. Put everything else, second, third, fourth, below Christ. Put him as the center of your life. And again, I'll say it again, I'll reiterate it just to finish. We must, as a church, if it, the reason why we keep coming together is so that from week to week, I just keep, keep you there, I keep you in it. And we all keep each other in it. Do you know what I mean? Week by week. Because life, two weeks can be a long time in the life of a Christian. Who knows that? You go two weeks and you feel like you've fallen back a bit you go three and it's like four and it's like who's jesus no it's not that bad but you know what i mean we need that regular regular boost the regular lift you know if i preach the same message i could probably preach this message every week and if you guys weren't sick of hearing the same scriptures quoted you're going to be built up every week from the same message because it's it's as humans, we forget so easy, unless you've got a brilliant mind. But it's very easy to forget. Who who forgot what they did yesterday? Are you like me, there's some things. You know, if I went through my day, sometimes people say, "What did you get up to today?" And I go, "You know what? I can't even remember." And I've only just done it. And I'm like, "Gee, I can't remember what I did today. Forget what I did a week ago." Who knows what i'm talking about and the older we get you know we we become like dory don't we hey yeah just forget what we did two minutes ago no it's not that bad for most of us i hope but in a way i've got to keep going over the same ground amen it's, it's like that. We've, and, and not that it's the same ground, because I'm sure I don't want any of you walking out down. No, if he's going to go over the same ground every week, that's it. <laughs> I've got about, I think, seven series that I'm preaching from, just to make sure that... And, and I'm going to go back to the, the Revelation series, Andy, so I'm going get, to get some sermons up on that, because um, we need a bit of eschatology and all that sort of thing. And, and it's just I felt called... Every time I go to do every week I've been meaning to do it, and then I um, just feel in my spirit that I've just got another more pressing uh, sermon. This one doesn't even fit any of my series, so it's just sort of one that just popped up yesterday. So, But I'm not going to create a series out of this one. Um, I have got another screen of scriptures, though, which I'm not going to preach. But um, the, the point is, it's it, it all comes in together. It's all for the same purpose. It's to make sure that you get into heaven. It's to make sure, to guarantee, that you get there and i'm sure as we keep on focusing on this as we keep on pushing that same course do you think we're going to get better at it do you think you guys are going to get better at living a righteous life as the years roll by 20 years down the track that there will be righteousness shining out of this church yeah you know um who knows paul washer yeah you see he's pretty hard-hitting minister pretty powerful um he uh, was in one sermon, I can't remember which one it was, but he was talking about a church that he went into, I can't even remember the country, but it was in a country where there's persecution, there's a lot of that, and he went into the church, and he said, you would not believe the level of holiness of the people. He said it radiated out of these people. They were so holy, they were so uh, devout in their Christianity there was just something different about him. He had never experienced it in any church anywhere else in the world. Just the level of conviction that they had and that they lived by. And when I heard him mention and describe this church, I just thought, I want a church like that. I want to be in a church like that. Not I want, I'm, I, I want to be in a church like that. You know what I mean? I want to be part of a church that has that sort of thing, that we radiate holiness and righteousness, you know, Because who knows there's nothing wrong with that? You know? Who knows there's nothing wrong with doing good? Who who of you, if you had to choose between your evil friend and your friend that does good, would choose your good friend to do something for you or look after you or whatever? You know what I mean? You'd always choose the good over evil, don't you? You don't want someone to... You know, if you're going to leave your home and you're going to go away for two weeks and you leave a house sitter and you've got a really good friend that you know is holy, righteous, does the right thing all the time, and then you got this other guy who's just he, he's a bit of a criminal and he does all this sort of you know stuff, takes drugs, throws parties, all this sort of stuff. Who are you gonna leave in the house? Well be that person that you're gonna leave in the house. You know what I mean? Be the person that you would put your life in his hands or her hands, you know what I'm saying? Be the person that the sort of person that you would 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 you know leave your kids with if you had to go away you could tr- you trust them you know who knows as parents you when you think about when you leave your kids somewhere you think about it don't you not going to leave them with just anybody it's a lot of lot of whack jobs out there but we're not fighting against flesh and blood powers and principalities but they're still whack jobs because they've allowed the demons to take them over they've allowed the demons to completely dominate their life I think I'm going to finish on that. Actually, not a good point to finish on, is it? I'll, I'll try to smooth it over. <laughs> Wake jobs, finish on whack jobs. <laughs> All right. Um, I'll finish with prayer, I think is the best way. All right, thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you for uh, these wonderful people and the um, opportunity to minister to them, Lord, and uh, and just to deliver a message that I hope has been helpful and hope that has been impacting and... Um, will direct the course of their life for years to come Lord and Lord I just pray that you help us to live as we should help us to live according to the way you designed us to be in the beginning and Lord if there's anything that's come along and corrupted us and tainted us and stained us Lord I ask that you clean it Lord out of us that you wash us and make us whiter than snow Lord forgive us for anything that we do Regularly, that is sinful and wrong, and we just know it is. I just pray that you just bring to mind uh, to all of us here things that get in the way of being the kind of people that we're meant to be. And I pray that you reveal it to us and help us to uh, repent and change. Help us to change, Lord. And Lord, help us to as a church. Help us to get ready for that time when you come, Lord. Help us to be ready in season and out of season. And help us to uh, uh, shine before men and be like that church that Paul Washer described. Help us to become a holy people, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God. So that we, as a church, may declare the praises of you, your praises, and we may glorify you, Lord Jesus. And when you come, when we see you coming in the clouds one day, Lord, we will rejoice that we won't have to fall to our knees in repentance. But we'll be able to rejoice that you're here, and, and that we will be uh, just jumping for joy, leaping for joy, running after you, Lord, just hanging out to see you and just to embrace you. That we won't have to be like those the leaders in the world today that are going to be hiding under, uh, under mountains, Lord, in and, and holes in the ground and calling the rocks to fall on them. Lord, so please, Lord, clean up your bride and make us a people ready for your coming. In the name of Jesus, I ask these things. Amen. Amen.